Well, it's good to be with you today. Um, we, we've had an interesting season. If any of you knew my youngest daughter, you'd understand why things have been the way they have. Uh, for several weeks, uh, you saw a program that didn't have a date on it because I just knew that when they got ready to move to Arizona, even though we'd been asking for months, do you need our help, do you need our help? No, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. I knew it would, when we got close, I knew when we got close, they'd say, hey, mom and dad, could you? And it, could you was, could you drive down a car, it'll be empty. Well, the car wasn't empty, it was full. And uh, we were one bag short of having to put stuff on the roof rack. That's how, <laughs> that's how that was. Um, but uh, anyway, it's a beautiful home. Uh, we were able to help get them settled a little bit. And I was uh, doing electrical and stuff that Heather doesn't trust Jeff to do. Uh, <laughs> getting that done literally 10 minutes before I had to leave to catch a plane. Uh, I mentioned Jill this morning. She's not with us. Uh, she stayed with the family to travel to Southern California. But more importantly, she's... Uh, with some girlfriends that go all the way back to junior high. And uh, one of those girlfriends is, is in need of a physical touch from God. And uh, I alluded to that in our prayer. And so if you could uh, remember her throughout the day, that God will use her. Um, I will say, as we're approaching uh, just a few Sundays away from being with you two years, I will say that it has been a marvelous joy adding Chris and Bibi to our uh, pastoral staff. Uh, without them, you'd have had to see me on video for two weeks. Not that I'm, I'm actually faster on video. <laughs> and you get to see my dogs because they love to go to church. Uh, but... Uh, that, that Chris is becoming quite a preacher. Yeah, so thank God. Uh, they're on the platform today. He said, you'll be behind the pulpit and we're on the platform. Uh, if you don't follow the lifting pastor, you would understand the two of them have been preparing for something for a year that's happening this morning. And you'll say, well, that's, I'll just tell you this. We're called to be God's light wherever we go. And... Uh, you know, I, I pastor a church, and I also pastor a congregation that happens to work for Caltrans. That's just the way it is. And my wife pastors a larger congregation for an agency that I shouldn't say the name, but the initials are EDD. <laughs> and so that's where God puts us. Uh, get your hand out there, and it's David the Wounded, part two. Uh, if you weren't here, it was about six years ago when I started this, <laughs> we're talking about David, and in fact that in, in the life of David, there are lessons of greatness, lessons about greatness. And uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about David, the wounded son. So nobody freak out when I talk for 10 minutes and you have, like, no fill-ins, because that's just for those of you that weren't here. But, but let me start off with this. And I've used this phrase probably, I've opened four teachings in here at the Rivers in two years with this, this phrase, life hurts. 
You know why I've used it? Because it's true. Life hurts. Life hurts. Uh, it would be, everyone would become a Christian if becoming a Christian guaranteed that you'd never have hurts. The fact is, is you're going to have hurts. But the good news is when you have Christ in your life, you have hope and healing for the hurts. David was wounded. David was wounded in a number of ways. And all of us are wounded. We know that David was wounded and his wounds showed in his parenting. His wounds showed in his parenting. His skills as a dad were poor. Remember, he had two sons, Absalom and Amnon. And Amnon uh, was, was really hot and bothered by his stepsister. And he manipulated and negotiated and got her in a room alone and raped her and then discarded her. And Absalom, the brother, looked at that and wondered why dad didn't do anything. For two years that went on. Can you imagine when you are one that you're always mulling things over, you're meditating on it, and for two years you're wondering, when's dad going to step in and say, that was wrong, where's justice? And Absalom just went on and on. And he plots, and he finally kills Abnon. And then he flees. And he has to stay away for three years. So now we're five years after the event. Dad has not said a word. What's wrong with David? I thought he was this great king. And a, yeah, he was a great king. But he had wounds that had not been touched by the healing hand of Jesus. This went on. Finally, Joab, the leader of the army, plans this little setup, gets David to admit that, oh, I should probably invite my son home. He tells Joab, go ahead and let him come home. So he comes home. And guess what? There again is no communication, no conversation, never addressing that uh, hidden thing in the room. This goes on for two more years. Finally, Absalom sets fire to Joab's field. Joab comes and says, why'd you do that? Why did you get him to bring me home? I did that to get attention. Now, I could do a whole sermon right there on some of you wondering why your kids are setting fire to your fields. They might be trying to get your attention. Many of the behaviors that we see are acting out are things to grab attention. It's awful quiet. That's why I saved that line for this week, not last week, because if you'd known, you wouldn't have come back. Finally, seven years in, David summons Absalom into his presence. The king kissed him, but it's too late. It's too late. You let this ruminate too long. Why do you think the scripture says don't let the sun go down on your wrath or anger? You know why? Because anger today is anger and it can be addressed 
In fact, some anger can actually be somewhat righteous in the sense of you're angry about something that, that is against what God's will or purpose is, right? But anger that's kept overnight is spoken to by the devil. It's interpreted by the devil. And that's why the, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't, don't leave it there so it can get interpreted. If you've got to stay up all night to say you're sorry, do it. Because you don't want the adversary to interpret and put motive to things that, that weren't there. But this had gone on now for seven years. So now Absalom, guess what he does? He plots for four years and leads a full-scale rebellion against David, and he almost succeeds. We're 11 years removed from one event unaddressed. The bottom line, even though Absalom's behavior was wrong, he paid the price for it, it came seven years after his sister was raped. David had done nothing. Now you say, well, okay, why were David's uh, fathering skills so poor? Well, most of us follow a pattern. I'm very fortunate. I come from a touchy-feely home. I had a father that was unafraid to hug me. So I was unafraid to hug my wife, and I'm unafraid to hug my, my kids, and I still do, even though they're in their 30s. I'm not afraid of that. Why? Because it was a pattern. It was a pattern. But not everybody's had that pattern. So David was a, was a poor father because we know he was the youngest of eight boys. But his, but his dad didn't even count him one of his sons. How do I know that? Because when the prophet comes to town and says, bring your sons and line them up, I want to see them, he brings seven. And when the prophet's done, he said, is this it? Well, there is that thing. He's out. I, I didn't think you'd want him. Do you think that helps your self-esteem when you find out the prophet of God comes to your, your house and says, get the boys, and you're not invited? Think that messes with anybody? Oh, my, yes, it does. Every close male authority figure rejected David. Samuel, who loved him, died too soon. Died after anointing him as king. His father rejected him. His oldest brother rejected him when he should have protected him. King Saul, who, who loved him, used him, and tried to kill him and abused him. He rejected him. David never had a positive father or father figure or a role model. He also was a poor dad because he would not face his pain. He never told anyone about it. He never sought any help. He suffered quietly while his family collapsed. Which led us then to truth number four about greatness. Every great person has to rise above the pain of their past to reach their God-given destiny. Now, in a quick recap of what we covered, and I think it's the first part of your notes today, there are four non-curing things that people do with pain. Number one, they medicate it. If you haven't seen that going on in our culture today, you're not watching the news. What do we do with pain? We medicate it. Well, does that mean just pills? No, it can be alcohol. It can be drugs. 
It can be anything that, that we use to try to ease the pain and to move our mind from it. Uh, the second thing is we motivate it. That's behaviors that just keep you moving so you don't ever have to stop and listen. This is the Mark O'Connell. I didn't want to deal with the pain of rejection and abandonment and loss. And I didn't even know that I should deal with it. <laughs> that, that was the problem if somebody would have said something. But, but I didn't know. And all I knew was if I just kept busy and if I did more than anyone else my age and if I accomplished more, more quickly than other people that somehow I might be accepted. Guess what? It didn't matter. What I found is people appreciated the fact that I'd come to work early and leave late, and I did more, I got more done at work than other people. They appreciated it. Did it make them loyal towards me? Did it make them protect me? Did it make them embrace me? No, absolutely not. The third thing is they meditate on it. This is Absalom. He's got seven years to think about it. To meditate. It's where, where, have you ever had that story? It just goes over and over and over and over in your mind. You all know that last December I went and saw my friend Robbie Booth and spent some time with him because I had one of those tapes that had been playing for 10 years. And I called him and I said, Robbie, I know it's a tape, and I know you're, you're good at taking tapes out of players. Could you take this tape out of my player, please? I was wrong. Robbie doesn't take tapes out of players, but Jesus did. And it was amazing in a moment's time, but once that loop was broken, it was so fantastic. And of course, my wife is always encouraging me by saying, you know, you could have gone seen him 10 years sooner. But anyway, <laughs> the fourth thing is they transfer it to their kids. They transfer it to their children. I remember my, Brinkley's 12, so it had to be 11 and a half years ago in Folsom. We stood on the stage. We, I say, we, Jill and I, and um, Lindsay, who's our oldest, and her husband, Jared, were there, and Heather and Jeff, and, and Brinkley. And I was dedicating Brinkley to the Lord. And I turned to them and said to, to both my girls and their husbands, I said, I only get a chance to say this once, and I only get a chance to say it once here. And here's what I'm going to say. There's things that we did right. Please copy it. You know what they are. You've seen the heritage that you inherited. Follow that. Embrace it. I said, but there's things that we did wrong. And I said, and you know what they are. Most of them we've told you about. We've repented and asked God to forgive us. And now we repent in front of this congregation and ask you to forgive us too. And just like when you're balancing your checkbook and you can't find a penny or two and you finally just draw a line and you accept a different number, in your life, draw a line. Forgive us. Please forgive us for your own sake. 
but draw a line and say, we're going to begin a legacy of righteousness in our family in this area. Mom and dad didn't have it. They acknowledged it was wrong. We're moving on. We're going to establish something that's going to be for generations. We do transfer things to our kids, both good and bad. So quickly this morning, four things great people do with their pain. Number one, they face it. They face it. The verse I'm going to use in just a moment was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men in the history of the world. But he had to overcome a terrible past. He was raised as a Pharisee. You know, they were the legalist of the legalist. This was the group that defined when, when the Bible said on Sabbath don't work, they defined what work was. They had definitions like you can carry enough ink to write one letter, but if you carry enough ink to make two letters, that's work. Can you imagine? They said you can travel this far on a Sabbath day and it's not work, but if you travel any farther than that, it is. But the travel must be measured from your home. Now, this is how they got around it. And here's your home. Anything that you possess is your home. So the day before a Sabbath, a Pharisee would say, oh, I want to go 10 miles away. So he'd send servants out with his stuff and place it along the road because it's not work traveling from home. So they did whatever they wanted to do, but they put burdens on people. This is what he grew up in. To truly be a Pharisee, he memorized the Pentateuch. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's hard for me to memorize those names, let alone the names that are in there. And some of the stuff that's in there is not stuff you really want to memorize, if you know what I mean. He had grown up under a performance mentality, a performance environment. There were scars from that. He persecuted Christianity. He participated in the stoning of Stephen. He rejected Christ. He rejected the message of the the gospel and look what it says in Philippians 3 he says I was circumcised the eighth day of the the stock of Israel the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church concerning uh, the righteousness which is by the law in other words I followed all the rules I was blameless and then he has an encounter with God and God knocks him off his donkey. Paul proves to us that regardless of how painful our past is or how shameful it is, God can redeem our past for his glory. But only if we Face it. Here's the truth. The scars and pain of your past are the things God uses most in your life for his kingdom. 
it was interesting back when I was in my mid-30s and I had that great discovery. I've told you about it in the sanctuary at Century Assembly in Lodi, myself and the lights. A 1,500-seat auditorium, empty, me and Jesus. And when I realized what abandonment and rejection had done to me and I acknowledged it, and realized what it was doing to my family and what it was doing in my marriage. And it was a moment's time. It was like this revelation. And I just knew that was wrong. And I knew I had to release some people. And I looked at the ceiling and I said, God, you know where mom is. You know why she did what she did. I release her. I forgive her in Jesus' name. And it was amazing how it opened my heart. After that, it was amazing how quickly... And often, people came into our lives that were struggling with that very thing. It's like it, it became almost a tape. I could just put it on. Here's the story. Let me tell you what Jesus can do if you deal with the scars of rejection. I mean, it was... I was listening to a song this morning on the way here, and I remember 10, 11 years ago, sending that song to a young lady. And sitting in my kid's room in, in, her bed, in their living room in Roseville with that person, her husband, and saying, here's what's going on in your life. Here's, here's the pain that you have of rejection. It's amazing how God has used the scars and the pain of my past to help others. 2 Corinthians says, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us all in our troubles so that we can comfort others. Do you see that? Where you get comforted is where you can comfort. Why? Because it's not theory. When they are troubled, we're able to give them the same comfort God has given us. I wrote in my notes, never follow a general without scars. I want to know somebody's been in battle. Here's another truth. In God's kingdom, our rank is determined not by our works, but by the scars, not scars, but the scars redeemed by God. The early apostles. Yeah, sorry, there's a, a typo. I found it this morning at 5 o'clock. But I printed that a month ago. Uh, the early apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, were misfits. <laughs> they all were. If you're called sons of thunder, hello? Peter, did he ever say something without thinking? Like always. These four are living testimonials of God's grace. They're unashamed of their mistakes and their lack of pedigree. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. Special favor is a big word for grace, and not without results. For I've worked harder than any of the other apostles, yet it was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. The word grace there in the Greek is charis. It means gift. It can be interpreted um, God's unmerited favor. But I also want you to jot in your notes, it also can mean God's operational power. 
Here's another truth. God knows all about our past and loves us in spite of the worst of it. However, he can't lift us out of it until we bring those things into the light. In Hebrews 4, it says, The high priest of ours, who's that? That's Jesus, understands our weakness. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace God's operational power to help us when we need it most. What do people do? What do godly people do? Great people do with their pain. Number one, they face it. Number two, we forgive and forget it. We were talking about Paul. Look what he said in Philippians chapter 3. I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, <laughs> I believe God will make it plain to you. He, he's saying, I have a history. And if I focus that way, I'll never accomplish anything. But I have determined to look forward to where God has taken me, not to the path from which I've come. He says, I press on. I do so under the grace of God. You see, here's the truth. Forgetting does not erase the past, but we resolve the issue, and we keep it from defining our future. The trip I told you about, Robbie, I was tired of something defining me. It was an event in which I was a victim. And I kind of wondered. I said, you know, am I just not seeing this right? And I said to Robbie, I told him, and he said, I know what happened to you, and you were a victim, and it was wrong. I said, well, that's nice to know, but it doesn't change anything. And he said, I know, and that's why we want Jesus to take care of it in your life. I didn't want that event to define me forever. You see, if we don't forgive, we live in torment. And we live in bitterness all of our lives. You remember the story about a man who, was, who owed the king a lot and another man who owed the king a little? And the guy who owned the king a lot, like 12 lifetimes worth of income, the king forgave him. You remember that? And then the guy that owed that man a little bit, he has him thrown into debtor's prison. Look what happened here. The king called the man who he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to the prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Do you know who the torturers are? They're demonic forces. When you don't forgive, those evil spirits come and they torment. Why do they do that? They do it because they're allowed to by God. Why are they allowed to? To get us to turn and say, Father, help me to forgive so that we can be released from the bondage of our past. When you're not able to leave your past behind, it dictates your future. This morning, what do you need to forgive? 
you may be like me. You need to forgive what they did to you that was painful and it was wrong. It could have been physical. could have been verbal abuse. It could have been rejection. It could have been comparison. That, by the way, mom and dad, that is something that you do not want to do to your children is put that bondage of comparison on them. Well, you're not as good as whatever. Wrong modeling. Iniquities. We've talked about what iniquities are, those things that are generationally transferred. We've talked about inner vows, which usually are responses to iniquities. You know, if you grew up in a... One of my friends said, Mark, I was raised on yelling. I don't know if any of you get that. But that's just, he summarized. Here's my childhood. I was raised on yelling. Now, I will tell you, my friend is not a yeller. But the danger can be is you make a vow, I'll never yell. When your kid's running across the street in front of the car, you probably don't want to have a vow like that. Right? Poor illustration, but an illustration. What else do you need to forgive? What they didn't do to you or for you that was painful, that was wrong, and set you up for problems. It was the wrong training, the wrong teaching, modeling about spirituality or or marriage or child raising, lack of hugs, affection, verbal affirmation. What's the goal here? Put these things behind you because it stops the pain cycles in you and in your family. You don't want to give your children what was given to you, or in my case, my grandchildren. That's the level we're operating on now. Number three, your past and the pain of your past will never be resolved until you are in relationship with Jesus. So here's the point. We follow Jesus away from pain. Catch all of these words. He's the healer of your past. The shepherd of your future. And he's the father you never had. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 11. Come to me all you who are weary and carry heavy burden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. You see, Jesus is revealing to us the Father's love, those of us that are just babies, so to speak. As we are dependent upon God, humbly needful of him and trusting in him, we find soul rest. Healing, health, and love. So I encourage you, stop grieving over the dad you didn't have. And start rejoicing over the father you do have. Stop grieving over what wasn't provided for you. And rejoice over the fact that you now have a provider that will meet all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. Stop obsessing over the past that someone robbed from you and start focusing on the future God is giving you. Last thing that we do is we leave a blessing to our children. 
We leave a blessing for our children. It's not too late. Jill and I made this discovery, and our kids were adults. But it's not too late. Exodus 20 says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. What's the goal? Stop the cycle of pain in you and your family's lives. You don't want to transfer your pain to your kids. What do we conclude today? That David's example of how he was raised and how he transferred his own pain to his kids, that's a common story. The story of how his family dealt with the pain by medication, meditation, and motivation. You see all three of those. You think Solomon was a workaholic? He built, 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 built. <laughs> You think Absalom was a meditator? He thought, 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 11 years planning the demise of his father. It's a common story. But here's the truth. All people have pain. All people have pain, but great people face it. They forget it and forgive it. And they follow Jesus away from it. The truth number four about greatness, every great person must rise above the pain of their past to reach their God-given destiny. It's your choice. It's your choice. And what better Sunday than to celebrate communion when we're talking about dealing with our pain? Dan, I didn't have a chance to prep you, but I know you're fine. If you could help me out this morning, that'd be great. We're going to bring the elements around this morning. And what I'm going to do, similar to last, last time, I'll pray in just a moment. Go ahead, sir. Just hold that, and I have a worship song that will be playing on the screen, and just like we did last month, whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, take the elements. Just remember that it was 2,000 years ago as Jesus was with his disciples celebrating the Passover that he took the loaf of bread. The Afrikoman is what it was called, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which was broken for you. And that was symbolic of what had been done before, is that that Afrikoman would be broken and half of it would be hidden. Symbolic of the fact that Jesus would not be seen for a period of time. He said, this body's broken for you, for your healing, for your wholeness. Then he took what was actually the sixth cup of that dinner, and he said, this cup is a covenant cup. 
the covenant cup that says, my blood is going to be shed for your forgiveness, for your wholeness, for your healing, for your health, for your restoration. So, Father, this morning we take these elements, and as 2,000 years ago, you lifted them in front of your disciples in that room. You blessed the bread, so we bless it. And may it be spiritual food to us today, we pray. May it give us strength and wholeness. May it empower us to experience who you are in a greater way. And Lord, we bless the cup just like you blessed the cup nearly 2,000 years ago. Let it be a cup of redemption, of restoration, of wholeness, of life that cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. And we'll thank you for it. Amen.